Mini Drink. I'm Noah Rothbaum, the head of Cocktails and Spirits for Flavier. Joining me, as always, is my colleague and co-host, David Weintrich. How are you, Dave? I'm doing well. Yourself? I am excited for our show today. We have not one, but two Daves, Dave Weintrich and Dave Broom. Often uh, people get confused, I think, the two of you. It's happened <laughs> more than once where uh, uh, I can understand why you both have published many uh, important drinks. He's books. got at least double my total, I got to say. <laughs> but this is this is very exciting. Dave Broom is one of the great talkers in the industry, you yeah. know, and one of the one of the one of the the great uh drinks writers and whiskey writers in particular absolutely, and just a very fun and pleasant person to talk to so this is going to be great absolutely we in addition to his writing for the flavor times um, and other publications he's new book called the sense of place which we'll be talking with dave about in a minute once we get him on the line let's do it all right coming on up next dave Ruth. Welcome, Dave. Thank you for joining us today. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I don't think we ever done a podcast, the three of us together, that I can remember. Who can remember, really? <laughs> that that is also true. And what an auspicious occasion for us to be doing it for the release of your new book, "A Sense of Place: A Journey Around Scotland's Whiskey," that just came out in America. Yeah, it's a that's a unique book, I have to say. I I really. Uh, I'm very much enjoying it. I haven't seen. I, I, I think it's in a class of its own. Oh, thank you. I love that it's basically uh, all about the people of Scotland and and the place itself, and very, and much less about you know uh, whiskey collector type stuff. The idea behind it really was to move away from that kind of formula of having to list every single distillery and go deep into production. Which I love, and I, yeah, you know, I've written books like that, uh, or tasting notes, or, or all of that, because they're just a bigger story to be told. Uh, so I just figured it was time, especially now, to be honest, you know, where, you know, there's new distilleries starting up. There's a lot of new thinking in Scotch whisky. Uh, there's lots of discussion about sustainability, and all of it just seems to be packaged together in, in this this term place, which I use rather than terroir. Yeah. I think it's a it's a better way of of describing. Well, like, we have our own words in English for some of these things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we might as well use them. You know what I love about this book is that you know obviously you know you paired with photographer Christina Kernahan. Yes, yeah, yeah, and her photos are are, are gorgeous, and yeah. you know it's both like really you know reading your beautiful descriptions of the distilleries and these conversations and paired so well with her beautiful photographs yeah it, it was a dream dream working with her uh she's just I mean, she's a great photographer she loves whiskey she understands whiskey mm. and she understood the concept you know so you know we we essentially traveled together to to on on this road trip north to south uh past to future kind of thing uh and it was, yeah, it was a dream, uh, a, a dream pairing, really. We're not jealous at all that you got to go on that trip. Um, I'm planning to do the Coca-Cola bottling plants of New England. <laughs> <laughs> and we're, we're going to go up and down uh, I-95 and, and, and you know, photograph all the exits that we get off at. <laughs> I think that's the American equivalent. Should be just as beautiful. Yeah, it's going to be very lovely. It'll it'll be a very nice book. I can guarantee. Yeah. I mean, let's face it; nobody's done it yet for some reason. 
Yeah, I can't imagine. It's, it's low hanging fruit, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, this book obviously follows your your previous book, The Way of Whiskey, which yep. is one of my favorites. It, you know, obviously it was you and a different photographer, you know, going to Japan and really immersing yourself in Japanese whiskey culture and Japanese culture overall. And when you did that book, did you know that you wanted to do a second one on Scotland or? Yeah, it, it's a funny one, that, Noah, uh, because I, I think the idea of this, you know, I, I was speaking to, to some folk about it. I, I've been kind of talking about, I'm thinking about doing this book for 10, maybe 15 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I actually pitched that a couple of times uh, and the publisher went, no, uh, we won't. <laughs> there's, there's, no market. Market. Yeah. Uh, there's no market for it. Uh, and I'm see if there is quite soon. Uh but uh, and then there was kind of change of thinking in terms of uh, my, the publisher and my editor, and they wanted more narrative folks, etc. Mm-hmm. And the Japanese ones, so the way of whiskey kind of fitted into that, and that did relatively well. Uh, so I re- then repitched this idea to do a similar one, you know, similar idea, you know, this kind of deep dive into the wider culture around the drink with Scotland and and thankfully they said yes but I'm actually very glad I didn't do it 15 years ago because I, I think now is the right time for, for this book to come out for, for the, the reasons I, I said earlier yeah I agree well I mean there are things that are clearly of the now in here I love the 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 ex- fairly extensive discussion of Scottish Oak for instance which 15 years ago you know yeah. I don't think there would have been much to say well, I, I would say two years ago, there probably there wasn't very much. Yeah. To say, you know, I mean, it, yeah. it, it, it's that it is that fresh. Uh, I, I did want a picture though of the oak forest with the sewage pipe and the uh, and, and and the shooting gallery because I thought that was. I mean, that might belong more in the uh, Coca Cola bottlings of New England, uh, but uh, that yeah. genre. But uh, nonetheless. <laughs> Greg and I, uh, Greg Glass, he's the, the, the blend, master blender at Point Mackay, and I, just to fill, fill folks in, we we were out on a search for oak trees, uh, and this farmer had approached Greg and said, oh, I've got oak trees. And we went down, and it was the creepiest place you've ever, you've ever been to. You know, this, this sewage pipe running through the middle of it, mm. and, and rabbits. And... That's your perfect place there, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was gothic. <laughs> and when, when I think of Scotland, a sense of place, that's immediately what comes to mind. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, this is what book number what for you? 30, 40 at this 30, point? No, I think it's about 13 or 14. All right, look, all right. 13, 14, sure. Anybody's written 13, 14 books. Um, Ridiculous. Will this, that begs the question. Will this will, be the last one? No, what, <laughs> no. Well, that, no well, hopefully not. I was going to say, will we see a companion book for America, perhaps another one on Canada, Ireland? I don't know. I mean, you it could be. There are, there's a few ideas kicking around yeah. uh, at the moment. Uh, we'll, we'll see how this one does. I mean, the next job for me is to do a rewrite of the Whiskey Atlas. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to take me a while. That'll um, take a while. Yeah, and yeah, not quite as long, maybe as your extraordinary tome, uh, <laughs> yeah, which took a decade. Uh, I, yeah, I and congratulations on that, guys! Well, it, thank, it, well, thank you, an amazing, amazing, amazing achievement. And thank you for all of your contributions. I know oh, uh, we couldn't have done it without you. So, 
you you were one of those people who uh dave and i crossed our fingers and toes and prayed that we would be able to trick you beg you to get you involved so we're glad it worked um, i'm glad it worked uh that was essential you know there were a few contributors we really we really needed we you know that there's no there's no substitute for and you're one of them so thank you for uh, sweet thank you well thank you thank you for thanking me and i thank you uh, <laughs> that concludes the podcast yeah, that concludes, yeah, we, are. we all love each other uh but yeah in answer to the question yeah we'll, we'll see what happens uh you know but once the analyst is out of the way I, I've got some ideas about what the next. Well, one I think be. I hope it's Canada because uh, if you'll recall, we had quite the the amusing tour of distilleries in Canada and, and dive bars and dive bars, which are brightly lit and carpeted. <laughs> 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 Only in Canada. How long ago did you guys barnstorm again across Canada? Was that? Oh, it was a good eight years ago, something like. It was yeah. a while ago. And, and was it Davin de Kirkamo Was your uh, dutiful guide on this uh he was he was our sherpa trip. and our chauffeur and uh-huh. uh and our uh a bayer of speed translator. limits translator <laughs> yes you need the translator <laughs> translator yeah. uh, uh i still recall uh the, the the most extraordinary thing on that trip is when we went to the uh old uh, shenley distillery in the middle of the saint lawrence river and on an island uh in quebec and it was yeah. like touring a large American bourbon distillery, except all the signage was in French. Yeah. And that yeah. was just very disorienting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was really weird. <laughs> it was very was like, this is not a French distillery here. And, and they, they wouldn't really tell us anything. No. Either. It was one of those visits, you know, where, why are you here? Yeah. <laughs> visitors? We don't get visitors here. Yeah. Why, do you want, why do you want to know? Yeah. This was don't write that down. Don't write that down. No, no photos here. For the Whiskey Atlas, what edition is it now? Uh, this this will be the third edition, but there's been so many distilleries. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Open, open, I mean, all around the world. The, the, I mean, I think when I wrote the last one, there were four distilleries in Ireland. There's now 40. Yeah. You know, I don't know. with that. You know, so, <laughs> so, so, so it just, it just can't, it, it can't continue in the same format. So uh, we're, we're working on a way to retain the spirit of the previous edition yeah, you can't you can't list every right. distillery now no you know oh, every no, distillery who makes whiskey in the united states that's not one book yeah. you know no so it's, it's oh, called a telephone book now. yeah <laughs> like, there, there are literally thousands so well, well yeah, i mean it wasn't a long ago somebody you know so would come up to me and say oh like have you had this I'm like of course like do you know like do you know the person who makes this whiskey absolutely like because there weren't that many people doing it right so now yeah. it's like people come out like, have you heard of this? Like, nope. nope. Like, uh, where's nope. that thing from? Like, where's it from? Yeah. Is it good? Like, what's it like? You know, I, I, I'll no look idea. into it. It's just crazy. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the same over here. You know, the, the people who have been making, I mean, in England especially, but even in Scotland, they've just been doing it very quietly. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's three years old and they're going, hey, we're here. Right. For us, you used to be able to ignore this stuff because the whiskey was all underaged and, and poorly distilled. But now, you know, there are people with 10 years experience who are making whiskey and their whiskey is five years old, six years old and is perfectly good. Yeah, now, what do you do with it? You know, it's a great point, that because there are so many good whiskeys. Yeah. You know, it's it's you know, like I said, you know, in 14 Ireland, there's 40, 45 mm-hmm. in England. Uh, and Wales can I get can I put together a hundred in France? Yeah, it's, uh, the, the the ones you know, in France just blow my mind. Yeah. It's just dozens and dozens of distilleries that have popped up 
in the last, I don't know what, 10 years? I mean, I was chatting with a Chinese friend. Uh, you know, I, I saw him. I saw him once, and then I saw him three weeks after. And the first time I saw him, he went, ah, Dave, uh, there's now 18 whiskey distilleries in mm -hmm. China. And I was going, wow, that's amazing. So three weeks later, he went, Dave, there's 24 distilleries <laughs> in China. Wow. <laughs> they, they did that just to confound you. They said, oh, put on another six. Yeah. <laughs> As a drinker, it's very exciting. As like a writer, editor, book author, it's terrifying because like I don't know – I'm not sure what our way forward is for some of these. It's sort of this this situation as it was here before Prohibition, when there were small distilleries everywhere. And then there were a few big national brands who had much higher output and uh, marketing budgets, of you know, as that was understood at the time. And you could get those whiskeys in most of the, the cities in America. But at the same time, there were also lots of local brands. And somehow they seem to coexist you know that yeah I, I, yeah and I, I, that's that's what i find that's what i found really interesting you know looking again you know looking at the book which is you know that old paradigm of what scotch whiskey was yeah. which you know there was single malt distilleries but they were there to provide films for blends that has now changed you know so you know virtually all of the new distilleries which essentially is you know this century are single malt distilleries and they are making single malt. They're not involved in that in that market at all. So their their method of thinking is different because they, they can approach whiskey making in a different way because they're not beholden right, to making right, one right. style for you know for, for blends. They're not worried about being constrained by by their size. Yeah. You know, so that they're quite happy to experiment because they know they can experiment, they can release a small amount, and that's actually part of their story. So there's this kind of there's these parallel tracks that are operating within Scotch. I, I think they're sort of the same as the ones operating in American whiskey, where, you know, the big brands make bourbon and rye, and, you know, they make a lot of it, and they make it very well for the most part. But, and the small brands are saying, well, what if we smoke the rye? We'll have, you know, and or what if we do this? What if we do that? We can make a batch. We can make two batches, and uh, we'll see. You know, we'll put it in a barrel and we'll stick it in the rickhouse and we'll see what happens. Yep. And they know that they can sell it. They can sell it in local bars. It's a new thing and there are people who are interested, especially if they've got a good reputation. For decades, the goal was consistency, right? It right. was yielding consistency, right? Like, you know, Booker No, Jim Beam's grandson, right? He and his cousin Carl, who ran Jim Beam forever, you know, for decades would compete on how much whiskey they could get out of a bushel of corn, right? Yeah, that was and, a big deal. That was a huge deal. Nobody wanted things to change from year in to year out, you know, from bottle to bottle. And now it's all about variations. It's yeah. all about uniqueness. No, then it was efficiency and consistency. And now efficiency doesn't matter as much for these small distillers because they're charging a premium price, you know? They're not competing on price. They're competing on quality. Yeah, and it then allows them to to look at you know heritage varieties, exactly, whether that's exactly, or, or yeah. you know, in Scotland's case, barley or, or whatever. Yeah, like, so that the you know, that in itself is really interesting as well. You know that this, you know, you you know, you're taking that hit on yield, taking that hit in mm -hmm. efficiency, because the flavor is better. Or the flavor uh, is have you the had a chance to try uh, Todd Leopold's extraordinary three chamber still rye? Oh yeah. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Todd very kindly sent me over a bottle. He he gets two thirds of the yield of normal rye yeah. with the rye he uses for yeah. that. And Unreal. <laughs> that stuff has got more flavor 
than 10 bottles of any other whiskey put together. <laughs> it's just Very it's madness. I got to taste it uh, side by side with a 1910s old Overholt. Wow. And it was remarkably similar. Was it? That's fascinating. Amazing. Yeah, it was, it was really almost shockingly close. Dave and I will be out in Denver next week. We'll be we'll be visiting Todd, so we'll actually get to see his oh, three chambers still in person. I can't wait. Well, give him my love. We will. Unfortunately, he, he was he was meant to be over at the World Whiskey Forum. Oh yeah, uh, but I got COVID, oh, yeah. so he couldn't attend. Which is a real yeah. shame. Uh, so I haven't seen him for I haven't seen him for a while. So yeah, yeah, yeah please give him my best. We will. Speaking about whiskey, obviously, Dave and I like to have a drink during each episode while we're chatting together with guests i inspired by a beautiful section in your book about the historic distillery bora and its fall and rebirth you know and now as it's super rare i, I dug into the closet pulled out a wee sample from uh, one of the diageo special releases of a Brora 35 year old I, I, I don't know what occasion would merit such a expensive or rare whiskey but well this one i thought dave broom this is the perfect yeah, one yeah. this is this is a work so i'll pull myself a, a tiny dram from this tiny bottle not having the lovely uh brewer 30 <laughs> i uh 35 reached in and pulled out blindly a bottle of 15 year old long morn mm. which is one of yeah. my favorite whiskeys on the face of the planet so there is that You've gone for very old, I've gone for very new, so I've gone for Ardenburg. Oh, there you go. But which is just a, a fantastic, fantastic new distillery on the on the West Coast that seems to it's funny, we we were chatting about this uh, the other day and it was it was Phil Thompson from uh Dornlich Distillery, an amazing weed distillery. Say it's amazing about Ardenburg and it's only like, you know, six, seven years old, but it seems to have been there forever. You know, and it tastes like it's been there forever as well. Uh just an amazing Great representation of what, what the new West Coast Hebridean whiskey scene is all about, yeah. which is local, green, serving a community, et cetera, et cetera. It's just, it is brilliant as well. You know. Can we talk for a minute, speaking of distilleries in Scotland, oh. uh, of, of this absolutely fantastic book, The Distilleries of Great Britain and Ireland? Well, why don't you tell us what this thing is? Because this is... This is obsessed. <laughs> I, I'm obsessed with this. I've found so much random information in it already that. Uh... And this book kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, it was almost like, I mean, at least to Dave and I, and it seemed like a comet that like just exploded mm -hmm. a lot of history of for, for whiskey yeah. making and also gin distilling too, that I thought was oh, yeah. correct. And yeah. obviously it's not correct. It it, it it was kind of hiding in plain sight to to, to some extent. It's a, a compilation of a series of articles, as was Barnard, yeah. uh, written for Trade Magazine. Right, and, uh, and, and we were talking about Alfred Barnard, who was sort of the first, what we take as the first whiskey writer. His book was published, you know. In, in, it was 1880s, yeah. you know, so, so this is 1920s, 1920s. And Barnard's, two, and Barnard's two, book, I mean, is pretty amazing because we were all at a panel together that I think I moderated at Tales of the Cocktail years ago with Lou Bryce and our colleague and Dr. Nick Morgan about Alfred Barnard. And, and just like he went around, he visited all these distilleries in Scotland and Ireland. His book is like an incredible resource because it gives a window into what they were like at the time. Mm -hmm. and, you know, there was obviously no video and, and very little photo, but there are etchings in the book and his descriptions and, and incredibly helpful, right? And to understand, he was very fascinated 
not so much with how the whiskey tasted, <laughs> very few notes about that, but more about how it was produced and, and the machinery and everything yeah. else. So the technique. Yeah, and the, 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 this kind of follows in that vein, but the joy of this is the photography. Yeah. yeah. You know, because yeah. the technology changed since Barnard's day, yeah. And, yeah. and you've got yeah. like yeah. extensive black and white photos for everyone, which is, and, and there's so much information in those photos. There, there's no author attached to these articles, right? And there, there's no author. We don't know if it was one person or a series of people. I, I, I think Doctor Nick thinks it's one person. I think it's a series of people. I think mm -hmm. the, the tone uh, uh, from, from time well, to time. Where is the uh, archive for this? Well, it, it, it was it was Leon from from James Eady. I uh, was doing a bit of a dig into the history of that brand, mm -hmm. uh, which is a very old 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 blend blended for a Midlands publican mm -hmm. you know, on the range of pubs. And he just went fossicking around in, in, in various archives and came across the Wine and Spirit trade record and then realised, oh, there's a little mention of ED there, then, well, hang on, there's a thing about yeah. distillery. And paraphrasing quickly, they went, I wonder if there's any more. And the more he looked, the more there were. And and by the end of his his research and his search uh, through all these different archives, he you know he's pulled together this extraordinary oh it's it's amazing i mean that's one of the great moments when you're digging in an archive uh, uh, a couple of years ago i found uh one article on in a in a an archive i had not had access to before on uh, a couple new york bars of in the 1850s and it said article number 27 and I was like, what? <laughs> and so I had to go and like I spent two days just trying to get them all, you know. And they're all for bars I'd never even heard existed. So I don't even know what to do with it. Nobody's ever heard of them, you know. But it's it's one of those moments where you you you're you're, you're nearly paralyzed when you see that it's part of the series. Yeah. It's like, oh shit, I've got to cancel everything I'm doing for the next four days, you know, and, and get these things. One of the very few silver linings of COVID, it was that so many archives were put online or access was expanded mm. to folks, you know, like ourselves who were at home, but like suddenly could get, you know, at least in America, like Princeton and Harvard's library, you could get them to scan parts of books and send them to you because you couldn't mm. get there. And it's like, I don't normally we wouldn't have any access to their library. So I would take a scan of part of a book and sometimes you know some of these you know there's a lot of fishing expeditions where mm -hmm. you put in something like whiskey or bourbon or you know distilling and and stuff would come up it's like i've never heard of that book or like what what is that exactly and you, you know be able to either get you know an article or something that one of the brands put out it's fascinating and and then sometimes like if you put that into like amazon or google or mm -hmm. something like you could find it a copy of it somewhere it's funny because it was kind of the complete opposite over here and it's been incredibly frustrating trying to get into the, the scottish uh, archive uh, national archive in scotland which has been closed and then ring fenced oh, for highly academics ever since so it, it's proving immensely frustrating to try and get we stuff. asked them to do that to give us an advantage over you and your british colleagues Dave, so that, that we <laughs> they're, they're holding it for us yeah they were like you know they're like <laughs> Room has written enough books. Dr. Nick has written enough books. <laughs> mm -hmm. We're going to help Longridge and Rothbaum. We're yeah. not going to let any scholars in. 
just going to close all the archives for several years. Um, <laughs> give them a chance to catch up. Give these Americans yeah. a real fighting chance. Funny thing about uh, about this 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 big tome, you know, Leon's tome, uh, is that it is like Barnard. Insofar as it's quite frustrating, oh, yeah. uh, you know, there, there's an awful lot of stuff missing. There's a lot about effluent, uh, which is really interesting. Uh, they're really interested. A lot about energy saving. Mm. There's a whole bunch of things, and you know, more peat used than we thought. But if you then look at it in, in its wider context, in 1920s is when the Scotch whisky industry is almost closing down. Yeah, you know, it's in a really parlous state. But every single one of these these articles is kind of going, "Oh, it's wonderful! Yeah. Everything's yeah, yeah, modern. Yeah. Everything's fantastic." Well, because hey, I, I mean, they're, they're celebrating yeah. the distilleries, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's a funny book because the guy, whoever wrote it, whether it is uh, one guy, which seems it seems like that to me, but I, I, I need to read through it a couple more times. But uh, whoever, whoever did, uh, he didn't work according to a standard template. You know, each distillery, he emphasizes something different. And, and he always starts with some harebrained local mythology and then, and, and then you know he'll talk about like this part and it's the same with barnard it's like they're talking about this part of the distillery but then he says oh and there are two stills and it's like yeah what what what, what do the stills look like you know what kind of stills do they have like retorts so you know are they is there reflux uh boxes on them you know etc cetera, etc cetera. it's always it, it's never the questions you want to ask it does have the account of, of what I think is the very first press trip. Yeah. You know, where, yeah. Where, where they go to the new game, just get drunk and start doing Highland games <laughs> late at night, which essentially is exactly what happens these days. You know, yeah. so it's, it's, you know, you know, they, now, it's there's the one enough. distillery that the the pages were torn out and uh, they couldn't put it in. Uh, Port Ellen. Oh, of course it was. Yes. I can't remember. Uh, has anybody found those pages? Uh, rumor has it that it has been oh, found. Amazing. But, but you know, there, are, there are some joyful things, like, like you know, the first account of what distillation is like at Malt Mill, the first account of triple distillation at Talisker. Yeah. yeah, and it's an extraordinary resource. If you do buy a copy, and I urge all, all nerds to, 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 or anybody interested in whiskey to, to get, get themselves a copy, be aware that, you know, it is ranting and raving about the beauty and wonderfulness of of the Renaissance of Campbellton, and by the time this book is published, or yeah. the last article in this book is published, every one of these distilleries, bar spring back in Glen Scotia, have yeah. closed. You know, yeah. So, you know, and, so, and what and you yeah. help find some of these articles, or or pull the no, 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 just... no, no. I I was privy to the fact it was yeah. happening, but but uh, no, I had nothing to do with it. It's also cool because they're printed the way that they looked, right? I mean, mm. that's it's like we're reading <clears throat> something, you know, from the 1920s, and it, the typesetting is the same. And I, are there people? Is this like a Shakespeare Marlowe thing, where there are some folks who think that one person wrote all these things? Yeah, Nick Nick thinks it was one 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 person. Now, he also thinks it was a questionnaire that went out. Oh, that's interesting. And it was just people in, in an office in London. Uh, if it was maybe one person or, or a number of people just writing up what came in, which is possible. But but I do think somebody visited them because you, you get the feeling that they're getting kind of bored. <laughs> to get it towards the end. It's like, oh, it's another bloody distillery. You all know how whiskey. At one point, they go, you know how whiskey is made. I'm going to talk about. Well, that's why. You know, that's something. kind of what you were saying, Dave Wondrich, before about like the writing style where. Yeah. 
I mean, we've all written a column, right? A weekly or a monthly column, right? And, you know, you're sitting there and you're like, God, like, how do I start this column? Like, how do I get into this? And you go off on some tangent and hopefully Mm -hmm. that leads to a better lead or better way in. But sometimes it doesn't. And, you know, I'll get stories from writers, right? There'll be three leads there, right? And, you know, as an editor, you choose the best one or you scrap them all and you suggest another one. But Mm -hmm. it definitely feels like some of these, somebody was like, oh, God, I'm back at another distillery. Let me talk about this very small point because it's Mm -hmm. different and interesting and at least it's a way in. Nick alluded to the fact it might have been Dorothy L. Sayers. that's, That's amusing. You know there are ways you can study this now. So we we he should approach the uh, the English department, the English lit department at you know let's say uh, you know Cambridge or something, and ask them to run it through their computer, and they'll, they'll tell you right away. We shall see. Yeah, that would be amusing. It strikes me that that it's quite possible. It's the the way journalism worked back then. You had reporters and rewrite men, mm. and the reporters yeah. went out in the field and gathered all the data. And the rewrite men uh, who had been promoted for being more stylish in their prose uh, added all the all the flowery bullshit at the end and and knit it into a story. And because the flowery the flowery parts of these all are are very much of a piece, you you know, with with local legends and and, and a lot lifted from Barnard. Yeah, same actually. And that system that you're talking about, um, Dave, like I mean, really, Time and Newsweek continued, you know, up until fairly recently like in america for those news weeklies where you'd have one person on saturday who would get for the large stories get all these people phoning in interviews tips Mm -hmm. advice stuff that they found and one person it was their job to put it all together to one into one story so i mean that that existed for decades and decades even the small pieces I wrote for Newsweek, I wrote a couple back in the day, like, you know, 15, 20 years ago, were, were, were done like that. And yeah. the same with the ones I did for Time Inc. I, I wrote for uh, one of their magazines, Real Simple or something, where, you know, I, I, I submitted my copy and it came back completely transformed and rearranged. And, you know, it's like, this is not what I said. Your, your your copy was not simple enough, Dave. That was the problem. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It was pretty simple, <laughs> to the point of feeble. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! God. We've all been there. Yeah. This new book, which you know, that the, the distilleries of Great Britain and Ireland, and and some of your books, Dave. I mean, they're they're kind of like a perfect bookend, right? Like you you pair that with a sense of place. Your new book, mm-hmm. and it's like. I mean, it's amazing, A, that they both came out essentially just a couple of months apart, right? Mm-hmm. And it gives you like a 360 view of Scotland of what was going on a hundred, almost exactly a hundred years ago and what's going on today. And it's like the two books kind of work, you know, really in tandem. So, yeah, it wasn't deliberate, but yeah, I, you're looking at it, it's it's fascinating for me to, to look at the, you know, distilleries one and and see, you know, how many you know, distillers are looking at energy saving and, you know, and read beds and all these things that we're thinking of as, oh, wow, it's as amazing and modern. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of the same the same issues are, are, are being faced by the distillers in, 
in those days. So and some of the techniques as well are being reused or reinterpreted, uh, which, which again is an absolutely fascinating thing. And, and you get the sense also, you know, if you look at look at the photos and you look at the yeah. number of people in the as well, you know, we've seen serious demanding of distilleries as technology has become more more efficient. But if you go to the the new distilleries, especially on the, on the West Coast, you know, and, and I, I, I concentrate a lot on, on mm. them uh, in the book, you know, on Razi or Torrevig or Ardenmurchen McNee and uh, Harris, et cetera, et cetera. You, you drop a, a distillery into this remote community and all of a sudden it ripples out across that community and kids can stay and they've got a career and the doctor surgery stays open and the primary school stays open and people come in, people come in you know. And, and, and that for me is place, you know. It's, you know, we, we obsess about this kind of wine-led idea of terroir, which simply looks at geographical and geological conditions and climate, et cetera, et cetera but takes people out of the equation. <laughs> as soon as you put people into the equation, you know, this is made by yeah. people living in yeah, right. specific environment in a community. I've long had this this sort of belief uh, that that the late 20th century is a complete anomaly in uh, the distilling world and in, you know, in the whole culinary enterprise, right? And things went away because of World War II and the need to streamline everything and ship it all around the world and put everything on wartime on a wartime footing. That's when you see this huge priority in with efficiency and consistency and everything else gets deprioritized yeah. that had been a priorities before. And now, only now, we're coming out of that, and we're starting to say, "Hey, you know, there's, we don't need to be like that." But those those beliefs were so strong for like three or four generations that they made it seem normal, and it's not normal. It's not normal to have four people running a huge distillery. You know, it's it's not normal to to do a lot of this stuff. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't disagree with that at all. You know, did yeah, you also had the kind of industrialization of agriculture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Which you know, it kind of had to happen. You know, like green revolution. Well, yeah, a lot, so, a lot of a, that was 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 wartime led as well. You know, uh, you couldn't rely on manpower because all the manpower was in uniform and overseas. You know, yeah, you you had to automate as much as you could. Yeah, it's funny. I was speaking with Emma Walker. Uh, you know, he's now master blender at, at Johnny Walker. She was saying, I think, I think it came from Jim, from Jim mm -hmm. Beveridge. Thinking about eras within whiskey, and if you think of like nineteenth century, you know, as being the whiskey getting itself together, you know, the kind of birth of a new industry. Absolutely. And then up until kind of maybe the nineteen sixties, it's kind of an age of technology, you know, which is yeah. what you're talking about. Then there's an age of science, which is scientists getting in going. How does it work and pulling it apart? And she was saying, we've now got all that information. We've got the technology. We've got the science. Now what? She was of a firm belief, and as am I, really, that we're now entering this complete new era of whiskey where we've got all this information, but we don't have to use it in a formulaic way, which is kind of what, what was happening. To get all that information, you had to trim variables like crazy. Wait, so, you know, any distillery that does something different, no, we're not going to pay attention to that. Don't do that. <laughs> you know, keep it like where we can measure it. And 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 you lose so many traditional practices as, as a result of that. But now that, we, like you said, like we've got, and she's right, I think we've got all this information. You can go back and see what we trimmed off and test each thing individually. It's like, wait, they used to do what now? I see this a lot with rum. You know, it's like, oh, they put seawater in, in with the with the high wines 
uh, or you know, with the with the low wines once they came out. And it's like, why did they do that? Hmm. Let's see. You know, we haven't done that in in 120 years, but uh, let let's give it a test. Let's see what you know. Let's see what they thought they were doing there. There was a famous sign that used to hang in Stitzel Weller when Pappy Van Winkle, like Pappy, the real <laughs> Pappy, ran it and said, "No chemists allowed." Right? Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and you know, he was yeah. very proud of that fact. And you know, he did things. You know, he'd leave all the windows open of all the warehouses every day, and they close them at night. And obviously, these things had an effect upon the whiskey. Like, mm -hmm. did we know exactly that it affected? the congeners or the esters or you know all the science no it didn't matter i mean they 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 knew i mean this is also a kind of terroir or sense of place mm -hmm. is that like you have the traditions and do we know mm -hmm. why these things how these things come together to cause changes in the flavor of whiskey maybe maybe not but this is how it's done could it be more efficient possibly does that matter no like you know it's just how it's done and as a result, it tastes X. And if you, you know, the, the person literally next door in their distillery, which is very common in Scotland, the whiskey tastes completely differently. I mean, they have the same sun, the same earth, the same water, and the whiskey tastes completely different because of mm -hmm. their traditions too. And that's a sense of place too. That's the human element that you're talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, that's why it was really interesting going to go to Prora, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, seeing this. This extraordinary, you know, recreation of of, of a distillery, and I'm trying to, trying to go back. Yeah. It's yeah. really difficult yeah. to do, trying to go back to to to, to recreate the stuff, which is going to be different to Port Elm. Port Elm is kind of they're, you know, they're off in a different direction. But I mean, I'm talking to talking to you know Ennis there, uh, like one of the old guys about how it was made and how to do this, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then again, I mean, you know, mentioned Jim Beveridge again, but. You know, this beautiful thing that Jim said as the distillery opened, he said, you know, we, we understand the science. We, we, we've worked out some of the parameters. We're going to set it going, but then Brora will be what Brora wants yeah. to be, yeah. you know, yeah. and the, yeah. the distillery will decide. You turn it on and then you see what comes out. You know, it's, these are complex systems, you know, they're, they're too complex to be, to be predictable. I loved your description of like the funk and the grime right? Like in the washbacks, I guess, right? Where the whiskey is fermented. Oh, the filth, the, yeah, the, you know, filthy fat berg excrescence that, that, that sits there in the, in the faints receiver at, at uh, Clayage, right, and uh, and which hopefully will start to build uh, in its, you know, in its disgusting way in, in Brora, because that's where the funk lies. Like, you know, as a kid, I remember, you know, like a greasy spoon diner with like, you know, burned down and be rebuilt or remodeled and you know my parents or my grandparents would say oh you, you got to give it time for the grease and the dirt to like build up for it to taste like it should like it's not going to taste the yeah. same because no, the griddle they, needs seasoning right they clean it's a new griddle or they clean the whole kitchen and obviously that's going to change the flavor of the food yeah. which yeah. you know maybe uh maybe less appetizing yeah. for food but that's that's the truth for, you know, for restaurants or for distilleries that you want. I mean, again, terroir, you want that kind of those local, you know, microbes to that kitchen. I mean, it depends on what you're making, but. Right, of course. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. If, if you make it super clean, then 
Uh, you, you can make really nice vodka, but you're not going to make nice. <laughs> no. that's, that's where the chemists go. That's where Pappy sent. I went to the, uh, the vodka distillery in Kyrgyzstan 10 years ago or so, mm. which was the former Soviet distillery for Central Asia. The Soviets invested enormous sums in science of vodka making. And this place was utterly spotless and completely efficient. And the vodka was 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 completely clean and, right. and beautiful. But, uh, you know, they their things they made that weren't vodka weren't nearly as good. You need the funk. Yeah. You need the funk. Yep. Well, thank you, uh, Dave Broom, for joining us today. Hopefully you'll come back. Uh, I feel like I always learn things. Your, our discussions opens up another door uh, in scotch and whiskey in general to, mm-hmm. to think about. Yeah, I, well, I'll, I'll be over first week of November, actually. So a couple of weeks. Boston, New York, and D.C. All right. for, for well, a good brief, to know. A brief Hopefully visit. we'll see you. We'll drink yeah. whiskey in person. Yeah, even better than drinking whiskey on Zoom. <laughs> yeah, considerably better, actually. A little but, bit better. Just, yeah, so, you know, yeah, just a little, little bit. bit. Yeah. It's been way too long. Yeah, we need to raise a glass. Absolutely. Well, well cheers. Cheers to you. And, and the book, everybody should get a the new Thank book, you. A Sense of Place, should be out now. And obviously, I suggest picking up The, the Way of Whiskey, too, the, the your, your earlier book in this series. So the two of them really are, are two essential volumes for, for whiskey drinkers. Thank you. It's very kind. Slanjo. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for listening to another episode of Fix Me a Drink. Dave and I encourage you to always drink responsibly. Cheers.